Welcome to Sadna in Books, a podcast about spiritual wisdom and practice. My name is Zita Harkaran, and I either discuss spiritual or philosophical texts or meet up for a chat with some of the great spiritual teachers of our time. And we talk about sadhana, which means daily practice. Today I'm going to dive in into famous Tao Te Ching. Tao Te Ching is usually ascribed as being written by Lao Tzu, which means the old master, but it is not definitely confirmed. What we do know for a fact, though, is that Tao Te Ching was written in 5,000 characters separated into 81 verses. And since 81 is divisible by 3, Therefore, I'm going to split my exploration of the Tao into three episodes. There is a lot to talk about in here. So, the Tao Te Ching dates back to the 4th century before Common Era or before Christ. Tao means the way and Tao Te Ching means the way to virtue. In my research, I looked through many different translations of the Tao, but only one struck me as the most simpler, beautiful, and understandable. And that is the translation from 1972 by Taoist teacher Jia Fung Feng and his wife Jane English. So as I was doing my research, I was amazed by how many people have done translations of the Tao and how many people wrote commentaries on it. Some of the well-known are by Ursula K. Le Guin and Wayne Dyer. My purpose with this podcast is to give you something peaceful, mind-opening to listen to, and to make you feel more expansive as we dive into the poetic, contradictory, mind-opening world of the Tao. One more note before we start. Tao Te Ching can easily serve as a mantra. Meaning of the mantra is a mind vibration that can help your mind to release stress from overly analytical daily diatribes and instead make your mind vibrate together with the everlasting Tao. So I hope you use it in this way as well. Therefore, whether you have read it already thousand times or this is your first exposure to the Tao Te Ching, I hope you will enjoy One more housekeeping note. I took a long time thinking about organization of these episodes about the Tao. Explaining each verse could easily spread into tens of episodes and I didn't want to do that. There are so many other commentaries that people have done. I wanted to make it a little bit more comprehensive. So I separated Tao teaching into few basic themes. And I found there are three basic themes in the Tao. Metaphysics or description of what is the Tao. Then the theme of recall non-attachment, desireless attitude and the fight of the polar opposites. They all go together and we will see how. 
And then the third one is what I call governance or practical application. But let's first take a look at the first three verses in their entirety because they help us set the tone for the Tao Te Ching. So even if you never read it, you can clearly see how first three verses look like. Here is the famous opening verse. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The nameless is the beginning of heaven and earth. The named is the mother of the 10,000 things. Ever desireless, one can see the mystery. Ever desiring, one sees the manifestations. These two spring from the same source, but differ in name. This appears as darkness. Darkness within darkness. The gate to all mystery. That which is infinite cannot be named because language is a limitation that gives definition. And what is definition but a separation of one thing between another? However, we do live in the world of manifestations, as Tao Te Ching says, of 10,000 things, of those things that appear to be separate from one another. And that is the mother of the Maya, or Prakriti, of the material reality. I am a human being and I appear separate from other beings and things. But is it really true? Because I constantly breathe in and out. That means I constantly inhale air in to my body and I constantly expel myself into my environment. So where do I begin and where do I end? And so it goes that from the first verse of the Tao, we are invited to open our mind to stop qualifying, stop analyzing, stop judging and desiring one thing over the other. And maybe then we will be ready to stand at the gate of the mystery of all mysteries. Verse number two. Under heaven, all can see beauty as beauty only because there is ugliness. All can know good as good only because there is evil. Therefore, having and not having arise together. Difficult and easy complement each other. Long and short contrast each other. High and low rest upon each other. Voice and sound harmonize each other. Front and back follow one another. Therefore, the sage goes about doing nothing, teaching, no talking. The ten thousand things arise and fall without Seize, creating, yet not possessing, working, yet not taking credit. Work is done, then forgotten. Therefore, it lasts forever.
Here in the second verse, we are invited to zoom out from our limited human perspective. What we consider as polar opposites are the elements of the 10,000 things. The change and polarity is a fundamental part of material reality because it is due to this movement of the opposing forces that the life is born, that the 10,000 things are born. Those forces constantly work and never take the credit for what they create. The nature doesn't take credit for the beautiful flowers it brings forth every spring. It also doesn't mourn when they die because it knows it will create again and the work of nature never stops. Just to bring into everyday example, we are always fighting the work and wanting more rest or wanting more comfort. You build a house and you think your work is done. You're just going to live comfortably ever after. And then the forces of nature starts immediately destructing your house, right? There, there's rain, there is trees, there are uh, hurricanes and all kinds of things. You know, either it gets um, destroyed slowly over time or something big happens, right? And your work will never cease. Verse number three. Not exalting the gifted prevents quarreling. Not collecting treasures prevents stealing. Not seeing desirable things prevents confusion of the heart. The wise therefore rule by emptying hearts and stuffing bellies, by weakening ambitions and strengthening bones. If men lack knowledge and desire, then clever people will not try to interfere. If nothing is done, then all will be well. Tao truly differs from other ancient or spiritual texts in a way that is very clearly seen in this third verse. So from metaphysics of the universe, we jump straight into advice on how to govern None of the other spiritual texts have talked about governing so specifically as this. But what a way of government this is. It's completely opposite to what we are doing in schools, at home, in politics, everywhere. So Lao Tzu starts very logically. When you are not exalting someone for their gifts, you will not create jealousy or arguments. This is based on a polarity that he mentioned previously. Once again, we are asked to look at the situation from the bird's eye perspective and see that talent only seems like a talent because someone else has a lack of it. He also asks us to see commonsensical idea that when you collect a lot of gold, you will automatically have people around you who will want to steal it because they will be jealous or envious. So when you highlight one thing as good, then something else will automatically seem as bad. And he thinks this is wrong, wrong to do. So therefore, 
the pure heart with its purely given intention about what it wants can be easily confused in that way and only want what the authority deemed as desirable. So Lao Tzu acknowledges that there can be clever people who take advantage of this imparting of the minds with wisdom and hearts with desires and then skew it so that it only benefits them, so that we desire what they create and so on and think what they want us to think. Oh my gosh, isn't this like ground chattering? (laughs) So how does the wise sage rule? The wise sage empty the hearts of desires and feed people. That's the opposite of what we do, right? From the very early on, you are taught to earn your living. And in order to earn your living, you have to go to school and you have to study. And then you're going to get your food. Then you're going to have the living. But the wise would make sure that people have strong bodies, health, good food, and hearts that are empty so they can be filled with Tao. They can be filled with the natural order of life and then everything will be peaceful. If everyone would follow their original calling, or what they are originally programmed by the Tao, whether it is to be calling to be a doctor, whether it is the calling to be a janitor or a builder or a firefighter, we would live in a peaceful society. But instead we have people being doctors just because it will make money, yet they have no relationship with people or people being lawyers yet they have no desire for justice so this concludes the first three verses let's take a look at the verses 4 to 27 in the order i mentioned before first we're going to start with metaphysics of the tao When people talk about God in Judeo-Christian tradition, or even when an atheist talks about God, they always assume that God is partial to humanity, that God only exists to make sure that humans are happy and that they are behaving morally, and if they are not, he is going to punish them. Tao, even though it never mentions the word God or Maybe that's a reason why it is so popular. Nevertheless, Tao refers to the supreme order of life, but in a refreshingly different way. One quality of the Tao is that it is impartial. It sees humans as straw dogs, and wise person will do well also to see humans as straw dogs as well. To even better understand the Tao is to see it as bellows, an empty space that can be shaped and pressed. 
quote, The space between heaven and earth is like bellows. The shape changes, but not the form. The more it moves, the more it yields. Verse 5. And therefore, in Taoism, as in Feng Shui or Zen Buddhism, we are open to an idea of having an open space that makes whatever we are creating more meaningful and useful. Quote from verse 11. Cut doors and windows for a room. It is the halls which make it useful. Therefore, benefit comes from what is there. Usefulness from what is not there. The metaphor of bellows as an empty space. When Lao Tzu compares Tao to bellows, it starts a very important metaphor of seeing Tao as a woman. Woman who also has an empty space, yet holds everything together. The more Lao Tzu is thinking about this energy, the harder it is for him to describe it. In the verse 25, he admits he doesn't have a word to describe it. Standing alone and unchanging, ever-present and in motion. Perhaps it is the mother of 10,000 things. I do not know its name. Call it Tao. So if Tao Te Ching has an inclination to a person, it is definitely being more female than male or neutral, it. Translator Rosa Marie Anderson in her book The Divine Feminine Tao Te Ching states, quote, I discovered that the Tao was profoundly feminine. The Tao is consistently referred to as mother, virgin, and a womb of creation, all of which are clearly feminine and hardly gender-neutral. From the simple change of associating Tao with the neutral it, which seems distant, to she, we can create immediately subconscious change of understanding Tao as something closer to us, much more intimate, like a womb or a mother from which we all come from. Let me end the section of metaphysics of Tao with a section that could be easily overlooked because it is so expensive that it almost borders on vagueness. Nevertheless, it is very important for us to open ourselves to understanding of Tao and to open our mind and to help us release this anxiety that we have from the materialism and the need to try to understand everything. From verse 14, stand before it and there is no beginning. Follow it and there is no end. Stay with the ancient Tao. Move with the present. Knowing the ancient beginning is the essence of Tao. Of course, this doesn't completely conclude the metaphysics of the Tao. This is just how it is described in the first 27 verses.
The second theme, which is non-attachment and desireless nature. Non-attachment is an idea that Buddhism is famous for, but it seems to be an important practice for all religions in the world, actually, and it is something all religions have in common. So let's see how does Tao talk about the practical application of its ways. From verse 7, quote, The sage stays behind, thus he is ahead. He is detached, thus at one with all. Through selfless action, he attains fulfillment. The more you say, the less it counts. It's a great example of how Lao Tzu is writing. Another important way of practicing non-attachment is in understanding that misfortune and disgrace is part of being human. And once you accept that condition, you accept the humility, you can accept anything, right? Everything else is a plus. From verse 13, quote, What do you mean by accept misfortune as the human condition? Misfortune comes from having a body. Without a body, how could there be misfortune? This is one of those clever tricks, right? As if it's like Yoda is talking. But what an interesting question, right? If there was no body, there could be nothing to assign this grace to. As accepting life from the beginning as something that gives us pleasure and pain at the same time often can set us truly on the firm ground. Expecting life to be constant flow of pleasure is we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. So the best way is not to expect bad things, but to not attach yourself to the pleasure too much. And in that way, you are not attaching yourself to the pain that much. That's why the wise sage will always try to shift your perspective to non-attachment and humbleness and desireless because that will help you overcome all. But how do we really practice the non-attachment? This desireless state of being. Is there anyone in the world who can do that? Quote, can you play the role of woman, understanding and being open to all things? Are you able to do nothing, giving birth and nourishing, bearing yet not possessing, working yet not taking credit, leading yet not dominating? This is the primal virtue. End of quote. Lao Tzu points a mother as an example of non-attachment. It is interesting example because you can argue that mother is the most attached to her child. Yet still, she has to let go of the child. Have you ever watched mothers in the park when they there with their toddlers 
who are just learning to walk, mother or fathers, they're right behind, right? Internally stressing about each step of their baby and kind of like hovering, trying to catch them. Yet the mother knows she has to let go. Otherwise, the baby won't learn to walk. She trusts Sal subconsciously, unaware. She trusts the nature will take over. And parents make these steps of letting go in every transition of their child. When they let the child go to school and later on when they let them go and live on their own. So the non-attachment is not this cold non-interest. Non-attachment is loving so much that you will let it go and you let in trust. The trust in the Tao. And we practice this trust and letting go, this non-attachment, when we learn to swim, when we learn to bike, and many other skills when we are working with the forces of nature. We trust the invisible force of the Tao. Yet, still, it is much easier said than done, right? So what can help us to be able to have this non-attached attitude and to just trust Tao and flow with Tao? And the answer is meditation from verse 16. Quote, Empty yourself of everything. Let the mind become still. The 10,000 things rise and fall while the self watches their return. They grow and flourish and then return to the source. Returning to the source is stillness, which is the way of nature. And later in the same verse, quote, Being at one with the Tao is eternal. And though the body dies, the Tao will never pass away. Meditation allows the mind to be still, even though it can see all these changes of the body and feel all the upheavals in the world. It is through this stillness that we connect with the Tao. Connecting with the Tao is truly like learning to swim. If you don't know how to swim, you will die. If you learn it, you can sustain that state on top of the water for a long time and you will not die. And that is what immortality is. And how can you sustain this swimming state on a water? When you practice it, practice it, practice it, and then you can swim across the English Channel. You can swim across long distances and not die. It is exactly the same with meditation and the mind. Once you connect to that place within you that never changes and you learn to sustain your attention there, that is going to help you swim across the ocean of your death, of all the pain and all the turbulence of life. The secret to immortality is open for anyone to read in these ancient scripts. 
including Bhagavad Gita, yet not many people are paying attention. I feel almost giddy talking about this. Like I just discovered a gem that no one is, cares about and no one sees its true beauty. And I'm like, here it is, guys. <laughs> let me know. In the, you can send me email to zitaharkaran at gmail.com and let me know what you think about immortality. Is it possible? How is it possible? But let's go back. The meditative mind can watch the rise and fall of 10,000 things. And if you pay closer attention, you'll start to see an interesting phenomenon. Lao Tzu noticed that the negative rise give rise Lao Tzu noticed that the negative gives rise to the positive and the opposite. It seems obvious, right? But not very much so when we start to apply it in our human relationship and in politics. So I'm going to read this whole verse 18. Quote, When the great Tao is forgotten, kindness and morality arise. When wisdom and intelligence are born, great pretense begins. When there is no peace within the family, filial piety and devotion arise. When the country is confused and in chaos, loyal ministers appear. It is interesting to note that the positive can give rise to the negative. And also I believe that the interest currently in meditation and in these ancient texts that we are seeing is a response to the great technological advancements that we are experiencing, which is driving our culture into very materialistic realm. And so therefore, lots of people are bouncing back and trying to look for truly spiritual roots. Meditation used to be natural. It didn't have to be taught in classes. But it was just like you went somewhere and you went into a sort of meditation. No one told you how to do it. You just did it. So the more the Tao is pushed in one way, the more it bounces off the other way. And that's why the great wise sage always walks in the center. Sometimes reaching far too quick beyond our scope creates the opposite reaction. Therefore, here is a practical advice from Lao Tzu on how to live. And this is the section of the practical advice and the governance. Quote from verse 24. He who stands on the tiptoe is not steady. He who strides cannot maintain the pace. He who makes a show is not enlightened. He who is self-righteous is not respected. He who bows achieves nothing. He who brags will not endure. According to the followers of the Tao, these are extra food 
and unnecessary luggage. They do not bring happiness. Therefore, followers of the Tao avoid them. End of quote. So here we are warned, be careful of the fast progress, because that will unbalance you. Let's also be careful of the fast progress of our society, because it will unbalance us. And we will simply fall. And don't be jealous of those who boast. What they say might sound great, but when you would, if you would truly see them, how they are behind the scene, you would not be impressed, nor you would want to copy them. Anyone who tries to hurry something only unbalances things, because there is a right order of the Tao. However, you can use the dialectic of the Tao to get what you want. Simply just do the opposite. Quote from verse 22. I love this. Therefore, the wise embrace the one and set an example to all. Not putting on a display, they shine forth. Not adjusting themselves, they are distinguished. Not boasting, they receive recognition. Not bragging, they never falter. They do not quarrel, so no one quarrels with them. Therefore, the ancients say, yield and overcome. Is that an empty saying? Be really whole, and all things will come to you. The wise embraces one person. He takes care of one person, and in that way, he sets an example for everyone. Right? He doesn't have to go around and telling everybody what to do. He can just take care of this one person and then the example will be set. Ooh. And I also love how self-aware he is of that this advice might seem like empty. But if we just try it, to do it in the way Tao talks about it, maybe we'll see how true it is. And let's end this little exploration of Tao Te Ching with one more advice. This is a quote worthy of being framed on a wall from verse 16. Quote, With an open mind, you will be open-hearted. Being open-hearted, you will act royally. Being royal, you will attain the divine. Being divine, you will be at one with the Tao. These are just few ideas that I meditated on when I was reading Tao Te Ching. And I'm sure if you give it a go, you'll find way more richness and insight. But I tried to stick with my main concepts and separating verses into these three sections. And it actually proved to be very, very useful. As always, you can write to me with your comments or questions at sadna and books at gmail.com connect with me on social media at sadna and books on instagram or sadna and books on twitter if you like the show definitely consider leaving a review on apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast and that would mean so much because that helps to make this podcast more visible 
You can also support the show on Patreon and join our experiential part of Sadna and Books with daily sadhana or just club meeting or receive weekly inspiration messages, weekly book readings and uh, weekly meditations. There is just so much more, right? If you want to hear more, I have more. Um, And today I would like to welcome my Patreon supporters who were with me for a few months already, but I never gave them shout out. I'm going to start with five, and each week I'll mention more five. So today, please welcome Alenka, Stella, Paramjit, Albert, and Jenna. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, I'll talk to you again next time. Bye.